Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. To discuss the politics of equality, I'm interviewing Mark Nielsen. He's the CEO of Talent International and a pioneering leader with over 25 years of experience. Over the course of his career, Mark has held C-level roles across startups, turnarounds and multinational corporations. This experience spans organisations in Australia, South Africa, China, the UK, the US and across the recruitment, technology, resources, retail and medical devices sectors. Throughout his career, he has held executive and non-executive director positions on listed and unlisted company boards. He's often referred to as a new age or new generation leader who truly understands the multiple benefits of a fully engaged and committed team. He's particularly proud of having built an open, respectful and unique culture at Talent. Mark aims to ensure that each member of the team champions Talent's core tenets of progressive and innovative thinking, passion for technological advancement and digital transformation, and customer-centred service. Mark's current role is managing Talent's $750 million-plus business and driving both Talent's global expansion and its cultural and digital transformations. He's also the co-founder and board member of Talent's foundation, Talent Rise, which addresses youth unemployment through mentoring and placement of young people into tech-related roles. In 2018, Mark was named Australian CEO of the Year by CEO Magazine, Professional Services Executive of the Year, and Recruitment Leader of the Year. In 2020, he was on Deloitte's 50 Outstanding LGBTI Plus Leaders list. He holds a Bachelor of Commerce and a Postgraduate Diploma in Accounting from the University of Cape Town, is a graduate of the Wharton School's Executive Development Program and a member of Chartered Accounts Australia and New Zealand. He's highly regarded for his ability to lead and build high-performance organisations with compassion at their core. He's outcomes-focused, a long-term thinker, and therefore passionate about building strong organisational cultures. I'm really excited to have him on the program, so welcome, Mark. Thank you, Amber. Excellent. I'm going to go back a bit here. So what were your early career ambitions? Did you think you'd end up doing what you are doing for a living, or did you want to do something wildly different? Well, when I was a kid, uh, I wasn't really into doing things similar to all my friends. They all, all wanted to be firemen or policemen. I wanted to do something perhaps more cerebral. So I was good at math. So I thought maybe I should be a, a mathematician. Not that I really knew what it was, but it really sounded cool. Then as I got older, I started to realize I was very different from the other young people. And I sort of saw all these different industries and I thought, well, maybe I should look at something where that would probably accept my sexuality. I knew at that time I was probably in my my early teens that I was I was different. So I thought, well, what about advertising or fashion design? When I hit my late teens and before I went to university, I realized at that time that I that I was gay. And this was obviously uh, plus 30 years ago, so things were quite different then. And for me there were two things that are really important. I need to have the ability to have the resources effectively earn a living that I could be self-sufficient 
in case my family and my friends and, and my parents didn't accept who I was. But at the same time, South Africa was pretty conservative. So I thought to myself, well, what is a qualification that could really give me international mobility? And luckily, I was, I was reasonable at maths and, and numbers. So I decided to become a chartered accountant. So and that was that was really awesome because I think that really fitted perfectly into what I wanted to do and my, my aptitude. And then after that, I landed a role working at, at EY and that really gave me the ability to be able to build a strong career. Absolutely. And and strength ever since by the looks of all those achievements I've read out. Uh, as, as I'll cover all, there's a lot of luck in these things. and But yes, yeah, I've, I've been lucky and I've worked hard. So it's paid off, definitely. Yeah, things have been good. Absolutely. So how do you define equality and moreover inequality? How, how does that sit with you and how have you viewed that? Yeah, so uh, I would define inequality as where you have less access to the same opportunities as other people. So... I mean, what and what opportunities are open to you is really determined by, I think, social privilege. So each society will have different attributes that are important. And the more of these attributes you have, effectively, the more social privilege you have, and ultimately, the more power you have. And I think this really dictates as to what opportunities are open to you, but also what opportunities are easy for you to access. Absolutely. I mean, there's this idea that, you know, we're all born equal, which I, I obviously with societal pressures, we're really not. It's not that realistic in my experience anyway. So the idea that we have to try and even out the equality, and it, it's a good one, but I suppose there's always things such as our income status or education, even where we live and, of course, our gender, that can actually really set us back when it comes to achieving equality. How can we try to readdress that a little bit? What, what, are, the, what are the levers that we need to pull? Yeah, so firstly, um, I don't think people are born equal. There's a lot of luck, luck of the draw. Often you hear people say, oh, X has done so well, but then you realize compared to a lot of the population, they had a huge advantage. I mean, and that myself, a classic example, growing up in South Africa, although I was gay, so that was one sort of thing that detracted from that that privilege. But in all the other aspects, you're only really competing with 10% of the population because of the apartheid and the preference that that white people had in that society. So also the way often I look at it is if, if you think of it, say, like a, a cycling race, okay? I mean, life is, as we know, is, is not a race, but Think of it, one cyclist who starts, they 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 unfit, they haven't got a, a great bicycle, they haven't had any training, and then you get another cyclist who starts, say, 100 meters or 200 meters ahead, and they've got the most awesome bike, they've, they've had the training, they've got the right, the right food and the right support in order for them to be successful. So, yes, you can close the gaps, but... If you look at that analogy, it takes a lot more effort, a lot more dedication, tenacity, and even luck for the person who started behind the person on the really awesome bike in order just to catch up. And obviously, that person who who has has all the privilege would would if they apply themselves would probably go at a faster pace. So, I think that's sort of the way I look at it is. That, that that person who is behind really needs a lot more help from everyone around them in order just to get to the same point as the person who started ahead of them. 
And that does make sense. And I suppose, you know, I think of equality is sometimes about that idea of levelling that playing field or compensating, like you mentioned, with the bike situation, you know, when things are equally not fair for whatever reason. And I suppose from my personal experience, I look at things that have affected me, such as superannuation or not being paid for when I've taken career breaks and sort of, you know, having other responsibilities which are not remunerated. Is that something which we all should be looking at a bit more of? I think it's often easy to kind of gloss over when you're, it's kind of working for you. You know, if you don't have those issues of inequality or the things that you think are holding you back are just not there. I mean, it's it's easy to sort of just go, well, that's up to other people to do, do their bit. I mean, is it up to employers, for example, to top up that super or for people to actually look at other access points for people to gain employment in their organisation? So there is that diversity piece, but also it feels more equal. What's your view on that? So I think firstly, and I think it's probably a bit of a contrarian view here, but I think it's unrealistic to assume that everybody's always going to be equal and there's going to be no inequality. Uh, that I mean, that, that, that's really a function of, of the capitalist society that we're all part of. Uh, and in some ways, the benefit of, of capitalism ultimately is that it does motivate people and it does allow people to push boundaries and, and be successful. So it does create that differentiator. However, saying that I really believe that society needs to be structured, that it can actually provide access to the opportunities for people to achieve whatever they want to achieve in whatever way that really reduces that that, that impact on privilege. And for me, one of the most important things is and a differentiator how people can break out of the, 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 the historical backgrounds is really through having access to education. And strong support services, especially healthcare, mental health, and just having that that support infrastructure to give them access to the opportunities. And then once, if you can have those core pillars in place, then effectively that will be give give people those opportunities. In the same time, allow them to break out of areas that were previously closed because of those special advantages. Uh, in terms of your, your your super question, I think, yeah, I think that th- there could be a policy around catch up on that. But I think what is really, really exciting to see is that it's no longer as it was traditionally that women look after the children. There's some stay-at-home husbands. And I think over time, as as modern families, as families change and become more modern, and we see that, that in that sort of 1950 structure change, I think there will be a shift and that will be ha- a part of that demographic and that, that change. So I think it may take slightly longer, but I think there are the right shifts that are starting to happen. But I think what we need to do as organizations, as governments, is just make sure that we don't have huge amounts of equality. There always inequality. There always will be, but make sure they're kept under control by giving those opportunities to to the whole society. That was a nicely rounded answer. So obviously you've mentioned you grew up in South Africa, which at the time was very conservative as a country, and that you struggled to express your identity as a gay man. And I guess still to this day, there are lots of people who struggle with this particular issue and other issues where they feel like they just haven't got that courage or that support system to be themselves. And I know that really has been sort of a bit of a driver for you, but obviously sort of as, you know, a white male living in a fairly comfortable life, as far as we know, I I don't know your entire financial situation. Do you think you've got an obligation, maybe more than most, to address the idea of equality or inequality 
for others to actually, you know, perhaps even level out that playing field? And, and how has that sort of idea permeated your work and your life? So I would say that generally gay uh, leaders, especially uh, Generation X boomers, probably had to struggle a little bit more and probably had to be better and probably given a few opportunities than if they they were straight. But at the same time, if I just have a look at all the other areas of privilege that I've had. So for example, I mean, being in South Africa 25 years ago, white was a, was a huge one, male, educated, English. I was only competing with 10% of the, the population. So Yes, there were challenges, but relative to a lot of other people, they were actually quite minor. But then realizing how difficult uh, it was just having one factor that detracted from my privilege, i.e. being a gay man, often I think, well, imagine being on uh, on the outer edges of of the privilege wheel uh, and being an an immigrant or, or person who's undocumented, person who's who's trans. A, a person uh, who hasn't got secure employment, a person who hasn't got secure housing, and I realise that how privileged I am. So I think that's it's really important that put everything in context. But at the same time, I think having that one area which was was a challenge for me creates a lot more empathy for people, and I think and compassion. I think that is really the way I try lead at Talent is to be vulnerable, open. And the same time, really care about people because people don't have it easy. And as soon as you've experienced a part of that, it can really make a big difference to to the way you lead and the buying that you get from from people. Absolutely. Look, the rise of cancel culture and the idea of canceling someone else is kind of privilege, if you like, has become quite familiar in our society. I often think it's a, it's a way in which people are maybe mobilising on social media and other platforms as a kind of public backlash, for example, um, particularly when it comes to sort of anything they see as kind of the issue of the day, if you like, and you, you come to cancel that person effectively kind of silencing them or ending their sort of profile or career in a way through boycotts or, you know, maybe not buying their albums if they're a pop star, for example. This kind of cancel culture has become a little bit of a mob mentality in some people's view and you know people go well how else are we supposed to redress these old forms of power do you think there's a role for this kind of cancel culture process to to play in in terms of leveling that that playing field and I guess allowing that higher profile people not always to have such a voice over those of us who may not have the same kind of platforms and and voices and, and profile so I think healthy debate is good, but it needs to focus on the issue that of concern rather than demonize individuals. If you just have a look at less examples would be Julia Gillard's treatment. Instead of focusing on the shortcomings on policy, the tech was focused, a lot of the tech was focused directly on her as an individual. So, I mean, in the past opinions would really only be picked up or linked to direct contacts. So now opinions are really amplified. And I think often people don't think about what they put out there and the impact that it can have on others. And I think any leader or person in a high-profile position, every post that you send out, you need to think about the implications of what you're saying and, and how this can be hurtful. I mean, I always, before sending anything up, whether it's Instagram, I'm actually not on Facebook, but LinkedIn, I just have a thing to say, okay, well, is the message in, in this 
in this 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 post or blog appropriate on the assumption that uh, the whole world's going to read it okay so that's sort of the first thing yeah absolutely and then if if so the focus needs to be on the issue and not on the groups of people i i think i've, I've covered that but the other thing is a lot of people hide behind religion to justify bigoted views so i think in the cases where people are focusing on individuals and, and 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 hurting them and not focusing on the issue or leveraging what they say because of religion i think it should be called out because ultimately somebody has to call out powerful people where they're not doing the right thing but at the same time it can perhaps go but overboard where there is a comment around a certain view and people attack once again attack the individual for their view and I think that, that that's where the line is. And we just need to make sure that we maintain, the, I think we're making a lot of progress uh, in terms of equality, but we need to make sure that people who are pushing for equality do have the voice, but the voice isn't hurtful towards others. I think that's good good advice just to keep ourselves all in check. Because I think particularly with the the keyboard world, you know, the digital warriors, um, there's some really crazy stuff which tends to circulate. And if you say these are real people at the other end as well, and we need to always be mindful of that in anything that we say and do. So what role do you think business and government play in improving equality in our modern society? I mean, a lot of it feels like it's up to the individual and, and calling out injustice where you see it, doing your bit, and obviously that does have an impact. But do you have some examples of how this perhaps it could be done better at the top, the people who already have the seats of power, perhaps either here or overseas. So I mean, business and government have the resources and really have the the voice and the and the influence in order to set the tone. Um, it's the same in an organisation. The CEO sets the tone, sets the culture. So if government and business leaders aren't setting the right progressive tone, it's obviously going to start to impact and permeate into the population or alternatively into that particular organization. So there's been a, over the last sort of 40, 50 years, there's been a significant shift in the makeup of where the value sits in organizations. So have a look in the 1970s, it was primarily tangible assets, i.e. machinery, plant and machinery, and people were I don't know, 20% of the value because in most cases they were either semi-skilled or, or unskilled. There's been, over the last sort of 40 years, we've seen that swing the other way, that intangible assets are now probably about 90% of the value. So what we're talking about here is your brand and your people. And people, the way people want, want to see change and people want to see an organization and organizations that have got clear purpose clear visions that have been articulated and explained. And if there are social issues that are not aligned to these, then the organization needs to take a stand. Otherwise, the organization is not authentic. Absolutely, yeah. So that is something that we really focus on at Talent. But we don't go cover every issue, but we cover issues that are linked to our purpose. And as a CEO, you need to be an advocate for all stakeholders, not just shareholders. So you need to stand up for your employees, customers, partners, the community, the environment, etc. Anything that's part of that, that ecosystem and not just focused solely on the bottom line. And what we actually seen is organizations that do do that, they definitely have a premium, a valuation premium, organizations that are strong in ECG as opposed to organizations that don't because 
the, those businesses will be a lot more sustainable uh, in the longer term. Absolutely. I did have a guest on a number of weeks ago and she talked about talked about the triple bottom line, people, purpose and profit. And I thought that was really powerful and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it's it's exactly that, and 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 the, and that shift, especially in the US, is becoming more and more gaining more momentum. Coming back to some examples, so uh, Biden came in, set in, came into power to set the vision for the US in terms of really rebuilding the US from a, a social point of view, and he really lived those values by his choice of cabinet. So he went for a really diverse cabinet, which was uh, first step. Okay. This is what I've promised I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. Then another good example was Salesforce took a stand against religious freedoms in Georgia and the LGBTI discrimination bill in North Carolina, saying that if this continues, what they're going to do is they're effectively going to pull the operations from North Carolina. So these are just some examples of, of how corporates have got behind making sure that, that inequality is brought to the fore but also putting their money behind it. Uh, we, a classic example is also the marriage equality bill here, which I was quite involved in. So many CEOs got behind the marriage equality bill just saying that it is the right thing for business, it's the right thing for people, and it's the right thing for society to continue to, to progress and have an inclusive society where everyone can participate and not feel that you got first and second class citizens. Absolutely. I'm always a big believer there are mentors in our life and people often have different mentors at different stages of their career and life experience. So what or two stand out for you and what have they taught you about life and success? So I think Richard Earl, the founder of Talent, so he was one of the first people that really taught me to think about why looking at vision, looking at purpose was so important. I mean, he was a fan of Simon Sinek, probably Seven, six, seven years ago when it was still still fresh and also why engagement and making sure that people can bring their whole selves to work can make such a difference to an organization. And then the other one was my father. I mean, he taught me uh, the meaning of hard work, taking calculated risk, but at the same time, uh, having a lot of compassion and really, really caring about, about people and not just treating, he had, he's a property developer, construction person, not just uh, treating people as numbers, but really trying to understand what makes them tick. Absolutely. Fantastic. Bit of fun now. Okay. If you could choose a favourite book, song or film, what would it be and why? And I love when people give me answers that are totally different to what I think they're going to be. So I'm hoping you can can surprise me today. Okay. So I would say a song that has a lot of meaning for me is Everybody's Free by Quinton Traver. I mean, it is a bit cliche, but it's really got some amazing lines in it. So some of them are, don't worry about the future. The real troubles are the ones that blindside you on an idle Tuesday at 4 p.m. And I think that resonates so well because we're always worried about what's going to happen. And think of the things that have really upended or changed our lives, either positively or negatively, that things that we would never expected were going to happen. All those black swans. I mean, just have to think recently we've all gone through COVID. I mean, who would have expected that? Absolutely. <laughs> and then the race is long and in the end it's only with yourself. So I think often we spend too much time trying to think, okay, uh, how are we doing compared to X, Y, and Z? That This is a marathon and end, at the end no one really cares anyway. So, And then I think one thing I try and install into the business, do one thing every day that scares you. So we always try to push people out of their comfort zones. If we think people have got potential push them hard because often 
little bit of push really goes a, a long way. And from that, people grow and develop. And we've seen some amazing, we've had some amazing stories of talent. So, yeah, I think those, that, that, those are probably a few from that song, which that's good. And it did surprise me. So there you go. You, you won that raffle today. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be your final takeaway message for anyone addressing the politics of equality? So over the last 40 to 50 years, we've seen significant social change. So some examples would be people of colour effectively moved from the back of the bus to the White House, women from the kitchen to the boardroom, gay people effectively from the closet to the altar. So that's only happened within so from the 1960s onwards. And we also seen this accelerate. So things like Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, Global Pride Months. So I'm actually really excited about the, the, the pace of social change that is happening in the world. And I think the more and more people that get behind it, the more and more this is going to change. In the next 10, 15 years, I think a lot of the discrimination that we've seen and the inequalities will hopefully work themselves out of the system. The still the biggest concern I think that I've got is really around financial inequality. This is growing all the time. And I think it's really and as we've seen from history, when 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 social when, when financial inequality or or social class or income inequality gets to a certain point, that is when we have major, major issues. I mean, uh, 19, in the 1930s and 40s with, with uh, Nazi Germany, et cetera. And also, I think perhaps a bit of Trumpism as well. Uh, as that. So I think we just need to be very careful, yes, that we are making progress in some ways, but we just need to sometimes take stock and realize that, and I'm sure most of your listeners will probably fit into that category, that we just have to look after and make sure that we do in our day-to-day lives and if we have got the opportunity to to make decisions around people joining organizations or whatever it is, is just try and leverage and help people who need that hand up to give them access to those opportunities because once they have them, it'll really make a difference in their lives and hopefully it can reduce some of that inequality. Some powerful messages for us to all ruminate on. Thank you so much for your time today. If you do want to contact Mark Nielsen, there'll be some details on my show notes. You have been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea, you're busting to get out there please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.